Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. We're excited to have you join our new series, Choked. This series is about how life events choke us from God's own heart and what we must do to overcome those events. While you are here, be sure to click subscribe and invite your friends to listen. Here's the message from Pastor Brian. Glad you're here today, and man, I heard so many great reports about the women's conference. I'm so thankful for those who organized and put all that together and what God did in the lives of our women over the weekend, so that's awesome. Uh, Guys, there's another one coming up for us this fall, so uh, get ready. That's coming, and the ladies are working on another one already as well, so love all that. Uh, So I didn't plan that Heather and I would be wearing the same thing today, basically, Heather, come on up and stand right here. So I didn't know it was going to be white pant day. So, and I also didn't know that other women were going to be wearing white pants and their women's conference t-shirt. So I thought, you know, we probably should get a picture made together. So ladies wearing white pants and your shirt, come on up. Let's do a picture here. Brianna, where are you with the camera? All right, Brianna, come on up. If you're wearing white pants, ladies, and your women's conference t-shirt, yeah, yeah, white skirt counts. Yeah, I, I seriously did not see the memo on this. This is really awkward. Here we go. You got everybody, Brianna? Almost. Okay. You need to come on this side. Are we? All right. All right, here we go. Good job. Brian, did you enjoy the conference? Yeah, the conference was great. I was so emotional all weekend. No, no. no I'm teasing. I'm teasing. No, I'm, I'm seriously, I'm grateful. Um, uh, Roseanne and Brianna took lead on this, and several months back, we started talking and uh, praying, and they worked diligently to prepare, and they gathered around them a team of women, and God did move this weekend, so I'm grateful. Um, you know, we've been talking about uh, some of the same things that the women did this weekend, and uh, we've already been uh, kind of addressed it. We've been talking about what happens in our life when we get choked and don't hear from God in the way He intends us to, when we don't have fruit produced in our life in the way He has designed us to have produced. When we go along and years rock by and there really isn't any change in our life, we still, you know, struggle with the same struggles, we same, have the same character qualities, we have the same traits, same issues, same struggles, and we never really change. And that's not really the life God intended for us to live. He intended for us to live a life that produces fruit, change, where we become someone different. We may struggle with some of those same issues, but there's fruit that comes from trusting him in that issue, amen, where change truly does begin to happen. And we've looked at what the Bible says about what can hinder that change from happening because I'm, I would be convinced that no one here in this room today says, oh, I can't wait for five years from now to be exactly the same as I am right now, right? No one's in that spot. Like, I want to have the same struggles, the same issues, same personality, same way I relate to everybody. I want it to be exactly the same as it is five years from now. No, no one wants that. We all want to see some change happen in our lives, and that can only come through the work that God does in our life. Amen? Amen. That's right. 
So we've been looking at uh, kind of some metaphors here because that's what Jesus did. He talked about our hearts being like soil. He talked about how the soil has to be at a place where it's broken up, where the seed can fall in, where the seed can grow, and the seed grows unhindered. It's able to get all the light, water, and nourishment it needs. But sometimes in our life, we allow some other things into the soil. We allow some other plants into the soil. Jesus said those weeds and vines that come into the soil and block out the light are the cares of this world. They're the stuff of here and now. They're the stuff that has gone on since sin entered the world. And it's the stuff that chokes out life chokes out real life from coming into us and being produced in us. We've looked at some, um, some real vines and weeds that we know in the physical world that are metaphors for us. So I want to talk today about a vine, a, a weed that is prevalent in the United States today, more so in the east. If you were to drive east today through Alabama, Tennessee, some of that area, you were going to come across a vine called kudzu. Anybody seen some kudzu before? All right, good. If you've been in that area, you've seen kudzu. It was introduced back into the, into the United States for the first time at the 1876 World's Fair in Philadelphia. It came over from the Orient, and it was introduced here as this kind of save-everything plant for areas where farmers were struggling with soil erosion, if you planted this, it would save the day for you. It really didn't catch on until about 1935. And when there was a lot of um, struggle, highways were being uh, built, railways were being built, and there was some dry drought periods in our country. And they needed something to keep the soil from eroding, something to bring some life back to the soil they decided, I say they, the government actually decided to invest so that farmers and people across the nation could plant kudzu. In fact, they provided 70 million kudzu seedlings so that they could be planted by the then Soil Conservation Service. The government provided them. They were paying farmers... $8 an acre to plant it. They thought it was going to save the day. Highway department used it. Cities went crazy over kudzu. They began to have kudzu clubs, kudzu queens, because kudzu was it. They developed this club that had 20,000 members with the goal of planting eight million acres of it across the United States. And it looks pretty and all. I mean, nice leaf, little bloom. Seems harmless and all. Seemed like something that if you planted it could keep the soil from eroding, could save a, a, a landslide from happening. But I want you to see what happened with kudzu. Take a look at this. This is what happened to kudzu. It took over. Wherever kudzu is, it takes over. You can't manage it. You can't control it. It will dominate you. This is not a picture from the early 1900s. This is recent. 
And if you drive into some parts of the east right now, you'll see a very similar issue. Those are trees that have been covered with kudzu. They don't bear branches anymore. They can't bear life anymore. They don't bear fruit anymore because kudzu was allowed into the region and it cut off what would have been able to produce life. Those trees, the sides, entire areas of landscape became choked with kudzu. Into our life, we have to be careful. We have to be diligent because Jesus said there are some cares of this world that if allowed to exist, they will, like kudzu, choke out the life of God from growing in you, from fruit being produced by you in your life, and you'll be consumed with the cares of this world. Today, we talk about one of those cares, one of those dangerous, noxious vines. And it is the vine of jealousy. Boy, jealousy is like kudzu. If you allow it to exist in any form in your heart, it will seek to take over. It will seek to dominate. It doesn't want just a cozy little corner. It wants the whole place. It doesn't want to exist alone. It doesn't want to share. It doesn't play nicely. It dominates and takes over. We're going to look at, like we've been there for the past several weeks, some real people in Scripture. These are not fairy tales. These are real people who lived in real time, who struggled with real issues like you and I, and we're going to see real answers for what jealousy does to us. So if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Genesis. It's the very first one. You can do this. The very first book in the Bible. We're only four chapters in. So Genesis chapter 4. This is the very real story of two brothers. This is real. This is not made up. This is not fairy tale. This is part of God's creation account. In spite of what you've heard, what you may have learned, God created the world in seven days. He created man in the garden. He created it without sin, without flaw. He put there the man named Adam... Out of his side, God created a woman named Eve, and they shared life together. They had the perfect setting. They walked with God. He had a garden for them. He had work for them to do, and he gave them life. There's something that's interesting, though, about this garden If you read through it, you realize that things really were very different than what we know of today as a garden. When you you read Genesis, I hope you don't picture some, you know, uh, idyllic place like the Fort Worth Water Gardens or something, you know, and think, oh, it must have been so beautiful there in the Garden of Eden. No, you can't even begin to imagine what it was really like. Because you see, back in that time, before sin corrupted the world, the spiritual realm and the earthly realm were together as one. They weren't separated as we have them today. They were one. And in fact, the things that are alive in the physical realm had spiritual properties. Now, you're probably thinking I'm going weird here all of a sudden. Stay with me because we know that there was a tree in that garden and it was called the tree of life. 
and those who ate from it, they would live forever. You don't get that from eating oranges today, right? You might live longer, but you don't live forever from eating a good, golden, delicious apple. It just doesn't happen that way. God had created the world so that the spiritual realm existed simultaneously on top of with the physical realm. And there, were, uh, there was a tree that God said to them, look, I've given you every tree to eat from, but there's one I do not want you to eat from. It was a tree, and this tree was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I tell you again, the spiritual and the physical were wrapped together. You didn't separate them back in that day. Here was one tree. God said, do not eat from this tree. For then the day that you eat of it, you will die. You will die ultimately physically, but you will die spiritually in that day. Do not eat from this one tree. It's not up to you, Adam and Eve, to know and decide what is good and what is evil. You trust me. I will show you. You walk with me. You are not the ruler. I am the ruler. I'm the creator. You are the created. Eat what I say eat. Don't eat what I say don't eat. That's what God established. You know the story. Eve was deceived by the serpent. She took the fruit, saw that it was good for food, desirable to make one wise. She took it and she ate it. Her husband ate it with her, and in that moment, they died. I don't mean they physically killed over. I mean spiritually, in that moment, the connection they had with God, the closeness that they shared with God came to an end. We know that because what you find is they go and they hide. They hide from God who comes walking in the garden, and they attempt to cover themselves. They take leaves from what they found and tried to cover themselves because now they were all of a sudden ashamed. They were embarrassed. They were guilty of sin and they knew it. That's what happens. That's what the Bible means. When you eat of it, you will die. Death will come to your spiritual existence. You will be aware of your sin and that's what you'll be consumed by guilt. And so they did their best on their own to try to cover it up. That's what we all do. When you sin, you try to cover it yourself. You try to hide it yourself. You try to put on something that you think will cover it, make it look better. You try to do enough good deeds to compensate and all those kind of things. Adam and Eve did that and it still wasn't enough. And they were dead inside. But God is gracious. And while they were hiding, he came to them. He found them. He called them out. I don't mean ugly called them out. I mean lovingly called them out. Has a conversation with them. They blame each other. They blame, blame, blame. But what God does is the beginning of the most beautiful story that we all know. The Bible says that God provided covering for them. He sacrificed an animal to make a covering for them. He took one that was innocent, sacrificed its life that it may clothe them so that they would no longer have to be ashamed of what they had done. He made the perfect covering for their guilt and shame. You know where the story goes. The Bible doesn't say what animal it was that he killed, but you just got to know what it was. If you know the rest of the story of Scripture, 
you know what it had to be. It had to be a lamb. It had to be. It doesn't say that, but it had to be. Because that is what you find when God gives the law to Moses. That is what you find throughout the rest of the Old Testament. That is what you find when Jesus steps on the scene and John the Baptist sees him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God which comes to, wait to take away the sin of the world. It had to be a lamb. God himself sacrifices, kills a lamb to prepare clothing for them so that they would not have to live in the guilt and shame of their sin. You know that story had to just play out over and over again. Adam and Eve leave that moment and they go back, you know, they go back to their whatever they lived in and they probably had to say, wow, can you believe what God did for us? He sacrificed one that was innocent for those who were guilty. He sacrificed one that was spotless for us who were spotted. He took the one that didn't deserve to die and made a covering for us who deserve to die. Beautiful picture there. You know that had to play out in the days and weeks and years ahead. Anytime they went before the Lord, you know they had to sing praises to him for what he did through a lamb. Right? Yeah. Are you tracking with me this morning? Yes. They had to have worshipped in that way. Well, they have two sons, the scripture records. And this is where our story picks up today. They have two boys. They raise them. And the Bible tells us something about these boys and the life that they live. So let's start in Genesis 4. I'm going to start in verse 2. It tells us that Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. We don't have a whole lot of backstory, but we do know this, that when they are old enough to work, here is what they were known by. Here is what they did, and here's what their life was about. Abel is the younger brother. Cain is the older one. And Abel, it says here in verse 2, it says that he's a keeper of sheep. Wow. Abel. He gets to be the one who keeps up with the lambs. He gets to be the one who is working with the prized possession of the planet, a lamb that was sacrificed. I'm sure they had to have had other times of worship and thought, if we're going to bring anything to the Lord, we ought to bring what he gave to us. Why would we bring anything else? Abel, would you bring one of your best lambs? I'm sure Abel would because he was Abel. Yeah, come on now. Come on. Hey, you won't believe the number of puns I'm resisting this morning. Whew. Man. So Abel, <laughs> Abel has this prized job. He gets to keep the sheep. This is what he does. And his parents, they're not just raising him. They're raising Cain also. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <clears throat> No, seriously. Look, it says, but, almost like the sentence turns negative all of a sudden. It's like this tone changes in the sentence. Abel was a keeper of sheep, but, you can just hear it in the tone, right? But Cain was a tiller 
of the ground. Interesting, if you look in the Hebrew, the word for tiller there is a word that means servant or slave, and not in a kind way. Like, oh, why do I have to do this? Like, forced. Like, I don't like this. Abel gets to keep the sheep. Cain is a slave of the ground. Now, you know, what he was doing was he was a farmer. He was raising crops. He was raising food. He was helping provide for daily life. The meals that Eve was making came from what he planted and grew. You'd think it would be some more, you know, beautiful title here. Cain provided everything for everyone. Cain raised the most beautiful food. Cain brought in the most delicious food. But that's not what it says. Cain was a slave of the ground. Now we know from Adam and Eve's story that one of the things that happened on earth because of what they did was that God cursed the ground. Because up to that point, Adam had a responsibility of keeping the garden. That's what he did. It was his work. He kept the garden. But the Bible says that after they sinned, that a curse came upon the earth. And you would still plant and grow from the ground, but now the Bible says it would be by sweat and toil. It would be hard. It would be tough. It would be work. It wouldn't be at all like it was before sin. I could just imagine Adam talking to Cain. Well, you know, boy, back in my day when I was keeping the ground, it wasn't like this. It was a whole lot easier, you know, and I'm sure Cain was like, oh, boy, here we go again. Stories about the past, you know. But it wasn't, you know, I had to go to school uphill both ways and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't that story. Instead, it was the other. It was, it was amazing back in my day. I worked, but nothing like what you're having to do. Man, that looks terrible, what you're having to do. Whew. And I'm sure Cain must have thought, well, yeah, you're one to talk. You're the one that makes this thing so hard. If you wouldn't have done what you did, I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't be, you know. And you get this feel right away. It isn't long into the story that you get this feel that like there's something going on here. There's something in this story. There's something just in one sentence that says that things with Cain and Abel weren't all that rosy. And we're not long into the history of man and there's already a little bit of tension. There's already one brother looking at the other like, how come he gets to do the sheep? Why not me? How come he seems to get the glory in the deal? It's time to worship God. And it's like, hey, Abel. I'm sure Cain must have thought, what's wrong with me? How come I don't get that job? How come I can't do that? I got to work in the stinking dirt all day. I'm just a slave of the ground. And right away, we start seeing what happens when envy and jealousy takes root in the heart. 
in this verse, I think we see the beginning of the kudzu vine planted. And it's about to take over, and it's about to be ugly. Verse 3 says, And in the process of time, I don't know how long, we don't know if it's days, weeks, months, but some time passes. That Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. So time passes. You get this sense in which this is not the first time someone said, hey, you know what? We should worship God. You get this sense with this, is what, this wasn't the first time that someone said, we should do something to the Lord to remember what he did for us. But this time, something's different. This time, they're going to the Lord. This time, it says that Cain had an idea. Cain decides to do something a little different this time. Maybe he got tired of Abel and his whole sheep thing. Maybe he got tired of him getting the glory job. Maybe he got tired of all the dirt work and all the struggle and all the stories from Adam. Maybe he got tired of all of that. Maybe he looked across and said, I'm done with this. But when you let it start, I'll just tell you up front, if you let it start, it is impossible to manage. It will take over. And Cain, on this one occasion, says, you know what? I'm taking something different today. I'm not going with Abel and his whole sheep thing. I'm going to bring something from me. I'm pretty good too, you know. I've got my own talents, you know. I'm good too, you know. I'm, I'm done with him. And so Cain decided to bring something from the ground. Cain decided to bring something from himself. Cain decided he would try to outdo Abel. Cain decided it was time to get a little bit of attention himself. And so Cain works the ground, gets the fruit, brings his best, and he takes it to the Lord. An offering. This is now what I'm going to bring to God. I'll do what I want to do. It's time for me to get a little bit of attention. It's time for me. I'm not all that bad. Let's do this. And he goes. Verse 4 says this. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. Abel does what Abel has done. Abel brings an offering in line with what God did. If you're going to bring a sacrifice, bring it along the lines of what God has done for you, not just what you want to do to try to impress him. Don't let it be from your own goodness. Let it be from his goodness. If you're going to bring an offering, it needs to be like the one who gave the first offering. And the way he gave it was the death of an innocent one for the guilty. It was a sacrifice for someone else. And Abel does what he had done. An innocent for the guilty, the spotless for the defiled. A sacrifice along the same order in which God sacrificed. Verse 4 and 5. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect 
Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. These two brothers both bring an offering. God accepts one and he does not have respect for the other. God's not playing favorites. It's not that God liked Abel more than he did Cain. He loved them both. God had made a sacrifice, and if you're going to bring a sacrifice to the Lord, it needs to be along the order of what he has already done, not what you want to do. And jealousy is at work because Cain's response is that he became very angry and his countenance fell. Countenance is the word for your facial expression, your sense of who you are. You know, when you walk up to somebody and you can just look at their face and you can say, oh, wow, they've had a rough morning already. You know how you can just do that without even asking? Husbands, come on now, right? (laughs) You know when to not ask. You know when to ask and you've learned sometimes not to ask, right? And, you know, and you've learned, hopefully you've learned to read. Ladies just do that stuff naturally without even thinking. They just see another woman like, oh, wow, she is really on top of the world today. How do you know? You even talk to her. Oh, I can just tell. I can just tell. In this moment, when you look at Cain's countenance, you can tell something is wrong. Something hasn't gone well. And Cain is very, very angry. I mean, I get it. You, you did something you thought was important. You needed some affirmation. You wanted some approval. You want to try to compete. You want to try to outdo, and you didn't get any of that. Mm, I get it, man. It hurts. It's painful. And in this moment, you would think that Cain would say, God, what happened? What, what did I do wrong here? I want to learn, I want to do what you want. You would think that would be the right response. But that's not what Cain does. Cain gets angry, very angry. He is, he's boiling inside. I mean, he's to the point where he's really not even concerned with what God wants. He's more concerned about what Abel got. He's staring at Abel like, God did it again. How come he always gets the attention? How come he always gets the approval? How come he always gets what I want? I don't ever get that. Why is that? Why do I have to work with the dirt? Why am I the slave of the dirt? How come I can't have what he has? Abel is boiling. Cain is boiling. Abel is free. Cain is really And it's to the point, I almost imagine that Cain can't even look at Abel without thinking, mm, man, I hate the way he chews. Mm. You ever get that mad at somebody? It doesn't matter what they do. There's like, just to see them walk across the room just sends me over the edge, you know, like that kind of thing. I can't stand the way they talk. I can't stand the way they look, the way they sit in their chair like all that. Was, you know, they're not even doing anything, but you're like, man, I can't. Even just the way they just take deep breaths every once in a while. I just can't stand that, you know. That's what happens. <laughs> Come on now. You acting like you had never done that before. 
You get so irritated at somebody, it's just like, I just got to leave the room. I can't even be in the same house with them, right? Hello. It happens. And it happened for Cain. It's two things here. It says he's very angry and his countenance fell. So there's this mixed thing happening where he is angry and he's depressed at the same time. It's like, what? why even try? What's the purpose? He's just like done. He's, he's just, his spirit, his countenance, everything is just cratered inside. And he's angry at the same time. And God is still good. Watch what happens next. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you ever work with people and you're a counselor, a mom, a dad, an employer, a friend, there's some great instruction right here. God knew already what was going on inside Cain's heart. He didn't ask because he needed to know. He asked so that Cain would verbalize what was going on. Cain needed to hear himself say it. It's good instruction. So God asked him, why are you angry? What's going on? Tell me about it. Talk to me. Tell me what you're feeling. Tell me what's happening inside. God wants to teach him in this moment. God wants to set him free. God wants to stop him before this thing really goes south. But jealousy does weird things to you. And it's happening to Cain. Jealousy will make you overthink some situations. Jealousy will make you overdo some situations. It'll make you overreact over something that is not even a thing. Jealousy will make you get mad at something that there's no need to even get mad about. Jealousy will make you be depressed about something that you have no need to be depressed about. But that's what jealousy will do. It'll take you down a path. It'll lead you astray. It'll make you think that other person's life is all that you think it is, and yours is all the worst that it could be. You'll compare. You'll, you'll see their highlight reel. You'll see your worst, your fails, and you'll compare your fails to their highlight reel. And, but worse than that, you won't just compare them. You'll think you should have that, and you shouldn't have what you got. You'll think, that should be mine. How come they get to do that? And you'll start thinking, Why am I having to go through this? This isn't fair. This isn't right. I shouldn't have to go through this. And boy, the weed is growing at a rapid pace. Do you know they say that kudzu grows at an alarming rate so that you could almost watch it grow? In one 24-hour period, it's possible for it to grow as much as 12 feet. It'll take over. It is dangerous. You cannot let it exist. And the same is true 
for jealousy. You can't keep it in a corner. You can't nurture it. You can't trim it fast enough. It will overtake your heart. Jealousy will also make you have a really messed up sense of justice. You know, there's a sense in which some things are right and some things are not right. But when jealousy enters in, it'll make you totally miss all of a sudden. You'll start thinking some things are right that are not. You'll start thinking some things are wrong that are not. Because you start imagining scenarios. You start dreaming up issues. You start thinking you even kind of know that person's heart. And you cannot. You can't know what your spouse is thinking and feeling. As much as you want to look over and say, oh, I know exactly what you're thinking right now. You don't. Stop. You're being deceived. God knew what Cain was thinking, but he still asked him. So there could be conversation. So that God could do the work that he wanted to do in his heart. God is gracious even when Cain is struggling. And here's what God says next in verse 7. He says to Cain, If you do well, will you not be accepted? It's interesting wording here. It says accepted for us in the English. If you were to look in the the Hebrew for the definition, it's a word that means um, to be elevated, to be raised up, to be almost promoted encouraged. And God says, Cain, hold up. If, if you do right, right now, Cain, if you'll do what's right, will you not be actually promoted, lifted up? You see how good God is? Cain, in the midst of his struggle, he's about to let this vine overtake him. And God says, Cain, talk to me. There's no record that he does. But God says to him, if, you, if you'll do right, I will lift you up, is what he's saying. And if you do not do well, Cain, know this, that sin lies at the door. You get this picture of some, something hideous just waiting at the door. Did you see on the news this week or maybe on Facebook that there was someone in Waxahachie who had one of these ring doorbells and it has a video camera on it? And the, of course, the video camera, is, it's, it's, it's there. And the minute it detects motion, it clicks on. So if someone walks up to your house, like, you know, it starts playing a videotape of whoever it is, whether it's the mailman or a friend or someone coming to steal your UPS package, whatever it is. <laughs> right? So the camera's there and they play this on the news. Camera clicks on. There's no one there, but you look. You kind of look off at the periphery, at the door itself. There's like this, you know, wreath hanging there. And slithering up the door is a snake. It has come up the door. It's got into the door handle, and it's working its way over to this little wreath thing and moving around right there. Can you imagine going and opening that door? Hello? (laughs) You know, that kind of thing. Right? Hey. And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. Woo! If you choose wrongly, Cain, you, you don't even have a ring doorbell, but I can tell you what's out there already, Cain. You, you don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. Sin lies at the door. And here's the deal, Cain. 
and its desire is for you. It, it wants to destroy you, Cain. It's trying to, it wants to take over your life. Like the worst case of kudzu you can imagine, it will swallow you up. You won't even look the same anymore because you'll just have it all over you. It'll consume you. It'll cover you. Its desire is for you. And then God makes this unbelievable encouragement and promise to him. But you, Cain, you shall rule over it. Ooh, you see how good God is in this moment? Cain's wrestling with all this stuff in his heart. And God says, Cain, don't go there. I know what you're thinking about your brother. Don't go there, Cain. There's a monster at the door waiting to just destroy you. But you, Cain, my plan, my purpose is that you should rule over it. You should be a conqueror. You should be more than a conqueror. I'm making a promise to you, Cain. God gives him encouragement. I'll lift you up. He gives him a promise. You should rule over this. You'd think Cain would say, oh, what was I thinking? Wow, I almost answered that door. I almost went down that path. I almost gave into it. Verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. Seems harmless enough. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. In spite of the encouragement from God, a promise from God, Cain chose to give in to the jealousy And when he got with Abel, they start talking, and it doesn't stay talking. It turns into angry words. It turns into some shouting. It turns into some scuffling. And pretty soon, Cain has gone all the way to actually killing his brother. He physically killed him. This is not a metaphor. This is not a storyline. This is not fairy tale. He murdered his brother because that's what jealousy does. It'll turn you into a monster and you're tempted right now to think, well, that would never happen to me, but I promise you, you cannot, never will be able to manage jealousy and envy in your heart. You do not have the power or strength. And if you are attempting to manage it today, you're only deceiving yourself and it will take over your life. Cain made a fatal mistake. And that's what jealousy does. It brings about death in our life. Cain saw his own struggle and he despised it. He saw his brother's life and desired it. And it ruined him. Hmm. Jealousy does that. It blinds us. It chokes us so that we can't even see straight. What's so fascinating is that Cain didn't have to go down that path. In fact, Cain had the potential for knowing God in a very unique way that Abel didn't. 
Cain could have been the one that experienced forgiveness in a very different way than Abel had. Yes, he had failed. Yes, he had blown it. But that is what forgiveness is for. That was what the lamb was for. That is what the purpose of the sacrifice was for. And he missed it. He could have known God's forgiveness in a very different way. There could have been family reunions later on down the road where Abel would have talked about, oh, I just remember when God was good to me in my life. And Cain could have been the one to say, well, you know, hey, there was a time in my life where I blew it badly. I almost let sin wreck me. But God forgave me and he was so gracious. He met me. He loved me. He encouraged me. He gave me a promise. That could have been his story. I know he was the guy that worked with the dirt, but that could have been his story. I work with the dirt. Do you know dirt is where God created us from? I get to work with dirt every day. I get to work with the very handiwork of God, what he created me from. That could have been Cain's story. Cain could have been the one to say, you know, one day we're going to die and we'll all return to the dirt. And then another day, God's going to resurrect us from the dirt. That could have been his story. That could have been his life story and goal. I'm a dirt guy, but boy, let me tell you what that means. He could have had such powerful story in his life as the guy that worked with the dirt, but he got so fixed on what Abel had that he couldn't see what God wanted to do in his own life. Whew. What Candy was saying earlier about stay in your lane totally fits in this situation. Cain, stay in your lane. God has something powerful he wants to do in your life. Don't get over looking at Abel's lane. God got something he's doing over there. You stay in your lane, Cain. And there's a purpose here. There's something powerful here. There's something great here that God wants to do in your life. But jealousy will blind you to all of that. You'll miss seeing what God wants to do in you because you're convinced what they've got's better and what you've got is worse. Jealousy always leads to uncontrollable anger too. Listen to this verse from Song of Solomon. Write this down if you're taking notes. Song of Solomon 8, 6. It says, Jealousy is as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. In other words, it will consume when it gets started. And jealousy will do that. It doesn't, you don't do it for a little bit and say, oh, I was jealous for about 10 minutes and then I was okay. Just give me some time. I just need a few minutes to be jealous. I'll be fine. Just, just let me have some time. If I can go to this coffee shop for just a moment and just, just have my own jealousy time here, I'll be fine. I'll be back with the group here. Just, just give me some time. That doesn't happen. Once you light it, it will consume you. And it doesn't stop. Jealousy will also cause some physical problems in your life. Mark this one down. Proverbs 14.30. A sound heart is life of the flesh, or is the life of the flesh. But envy or jealousy is the rottenness, dryness of the bones. Not just metaphorical, purely, truly physical. 
When you let jealousy into your heart, it will bring about some physical issues in your life. It will bring about some pains that all of a sudden will become unexplainable. You don't know where they came from. Your doctor can't tell you why they're there. It could be because you have allowed envy into your heart. Doctors will tell you if you have envy or jealousy, your heart rate will increase, your blood pressure will go up, your appetite potentially will lessen, you'll have some sleepless nights, and you'll have less of an ability to fight off infection in your life. Because when your heart is sound, it gives life to the body. When it has envy, there is a rottenness at the core of what you are. Jealousy also destroys your ability to relate. When you get jealous of someone else, you start thinking negative about yourself. You, you get to this place where you feel inferior and insecure and even a little threatened, right? So you become a little bit more protective of your stuff. You become a little bit more heightened with your sensitivity. Now people say things and they just set you off. They make you angry like they did Cain, or they make you feel more depressed like Cain. It's because you've allowed jealousy in, and it, it will totally mess with you because when you're insecure, inferior, feeling threatened, easy to go, you go off on somebody, who wants to be around that person? Everybody's scared of you in that moment. <laughs> Because you're all lit up all the time. You're all either down or you're up or you're over here, you're over there, you overreact. Everybody's like, get away from them. That's where the phrase walking on eggshells around somebody, it can come from that. Because you get all upset and jealousy messes with your ability to relate to people. It'll make you miss God's purpose for your life. That's the saddest part. Cain totally missed what he could have had. Cain totally blew the moment. God was still gracious to him if we were to read the rest of his story, but what he ends up with is not what he could have had. So what do we do? What's the answer? This is all the real-life stuff, the real-life problem. What's the answer? We turn to Psalm 37, two verses, and we're out today. Psalm 37, verse 3 says this. Trust in the Lord and do good. If you were to read the context, you'd see it's in the context of when others are doing good and you're not. When people who even seem to be doing bad things seem to have it go well for them. Hello, anybody ever seen that situation? Or you've got people in your life who you think, what? Why? Why do they have all that? I'm over here serving you, God. Hello? Trust in the Lord and do good. You keep trusting what he says, and you keep doing what's right. Dwell in the land. Do your job. Stay in your house. Stop looking at their stuff. Stop comparing your life. Stop wishing you had what they had. Stop being envious of them. Stop despising what's in your own life. I love what he says here. And feed on his faithfulness. You know what jealousy does? Jealousy says, you need to just feed on this. You need to feed on what they have that you don't. 
You need to feed on what you are missing, what you lack, what you don't have, how your marriage is not like theirs, how your kids are not like theirs, how your job's not like theirs, how your house is not like theirs. Just feed on that. Just let your mind dwell on that. That's what jealousy does. It comes whispering. It comes taunting. It comes leading you astray. Feed on this. Just keep feeding on it. Yeah, just keep thinking about what they probably have and you don't. Just keep thinking about what they have and you wish you had. Just keep despising your life. That's what jealousy says. But the Bible says, don't do that. Instead, feed on his faithfulness. Don't look at what someone else has. You know, I I get to hear the stories of people here at Vertical and things that God does in their life. And there's some great stories here. There's a lot of great stories. I, uh, I love to talk to Jim. Where are you, Jim Pachurik? He's right back here. Jim comes by the office periodically. And we talk a little bit. And Jim, almost every week, says, Pastor, let me tell you what God did this week. Wow, okay, let's go. And he tells me something that happened in his life. Something, you know, that was hurtful. Something that was difficult. And he says, and it was hard. But I prayed and I trusted God. And you know what? God heard me and answered my prayer. Wow. Just this week, Jim came by. Hey, I was out this week, he said, and I lost my billfold. I didn't know where it was. He said, I thought it was probably at Lowe's. So I went back to Lowe's. He said, I asked him, hey, did you find a, a billfold anywhere? No, we didn't. Jim said, turned, walked out, started going to his car, and had a conversation with him and God. God, you know where that billfold is. You know what's in it. And you know I really need that stuff. That's kind of my, that's my life. All my important stuff's in there. God, would you please find that billfold for me? He said he hadn't just finished those words. All of a sudden he heard, sir. He turned around. Lady comes running out of the store. What's your name? Jim, sir, I've got your billfold right here. Wow. Woo! Yeah. I hear those stories like, I want to be like Jim. <laughs> How could that happen to me, God? Right? But God has a path for Jim. And Jim would tell you, hey, I'm not perfect. But God has worked in my life in the areas where I have called out to him. He's answering him. And Jim's got stuff he's still praying for, right? But when Jim said, how can I pray for you, Pastor? You better believe I had something right. I wanted, All right, well, let's go. But I can't be envious of what Jim has. I need to feed on what God has done in my life. Jim needs to feed on what God has done in his life. Feed on his faithfulness. Replay the tapes of when God heard you before. Replay the tapes of what God did the last time. Keep replaying the tapes of what you've read about what God has done in Scripture. Keep replaying those tapes in your life. Feed on that. Tell yourself that. Don't let yourself take you down the path of jealousy and envy and despising and all that. You take charge. Did you know you can be the one who tells your heart which way it goes? You can. You should. Just because you feel something doesn't mean you have to go in that direction. You take charge, just like God said to Cain. Cain, if you'll do what's right, 
I'll lift you up. You'll see me work in your life in a way like you've never seen before. Feed on my faithfulness, Cain, not on anything else. What a reminder for us today. Has God spoken to you today? Amen. I'm I'm loving the series. I'm hearing so many stories, people saying, God spoke to me this morning very clearly. And I believe that's happening today. Would you bow your heads with me? I believe God is speaking very specifically this morning to us, not to the person next to you. He's speaking to them too, but that's not for you. You've got your lane. You've got your chair. He's talking to you in your lane. Stay in your lane. He's calling you to feed on him this morning. Trust him this morning. Just Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Trust in him, nothing else. He's calling us to simple, single-hearted trust. Would you just tell him that this morning? God, I've had my eyes in a whole lot of places that it shouldn't be. I've allowed some things in my heart that have really messed me up. God, I'm here to remove any weeds and vines associated with envy and jealousy. Forgive me for thinking I could manage it. I can't. Forgive me for thinking I could control it. I can't. I believe you. I trust you. You have a work to do in my life, and I want that more than anything else. God, I thank you that you are faithful today. I thank you that you are good, even when we have been bad. I thank you that there's grace in the very place of our sin. I thank you that you call us with a promise. I pray we'd be a people this morning who bring our heart back to you, that we tell our hearts, feed on his faithfulness. Don't feed on someone else's life, someone else's seeming prosperity. Feed on the goodness of God. So, Lord, we're grateful this morning that you've met with us today. We bring our heart to you, focused, loving you only. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. For our response time today, I want to ask our ushers to come. We're going to give our offering and sit and listen to what the Lord is saying to us and use this time to give, but also to receive what he's saying to us.